Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. Hello, I'm Scott Santucci. Hey, it's Brian Lambert here, and we're the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is dedicated to asking those big questions you should be asking if you want to be successful with sales enablement. Do you have an idea of the value of sales enablement for your company? And are you frustrated that others might not see it? Oh man, holy cow, am I living that right now? I was actually uh, listening to our last podcast, Scott, and I thought before we blaze on to the to the next one or to another one, I, I think we should pause and reflect a little bit around what happened. One of the things that you said uh, in, in that discussion on our first podcast was, Oh, you know, I, I went around and I got buy-in from everybody and, and then we, we, you know, we did it. And I said, that's easier said than done. I, I found in my own role, that's incredibly difficult. And I think that's the topic of this podcast. You know, how do you go about getting others to buy in to a more strategic view of sales enablement? And I want to explore that here in the podcast today. What do you think? I think it's great. And uh, Brian, as as you know, we like to try to have a leveling story to really frame this issue out. And to, to me, the leveling story here goes back to World War I. If you can kind of picture in your head, in your mind, a whole bunch of, say, British or French troops down there in the trenches with the rifle and the, the bayonets armed, just waiting for that dreaded whistle to blow to go over the top. And when they go over the top, they have to cut through a whole bunch of barbed wire over no man's land, and then they would just get machine gunned down by Germans in a pillbox. And when you think about that, the strategies there, like, why did they do that? In one of the battles, actually, actually over a million people died in a battle. Like, it's just amazing. Yeah. And what happened really is that these generals all learned the tactics and what, be, what running a military was using Napoleonic tactics. So they learned everything about how to run a military, how to organize a military, what motivation was, what strategies were, all based on what Napoleon did in the early 1800s. What they yep. didn't account for was the Industrial Revolution. And during that Industrial Revolution, a, ma- a huge amount of things happened. Number one, Troops could be brought to the brought to the front line in trains. Number two, you ha- actually had mass-produced food, so you could have much much larger armies. Number three, the weapons that you had available, you had machine guns rather than at muskets that you had to front load. The alt- artillery could shoot miles in advance. They had poisonous gas. They had airplanes. They had all of these different innovations, but they didn't change their tactics. All right, that's really so, sort of a, a framing. But, yeah, uh, framing that's story. a great story. Thanks. Now, hopefully, hopefully we're not eating lunch. But I, I, that's a bit of a morbid story. And you know, I, I said this in the first one. You know, what does this? What the heck does this have to do uh, with sales enablement? And now I feel like I need to get my uh, my flak jacket on and and wonder what I'm doing in the trench. <laughs> but uh, I, I think 
there's something more to it than that. And it has to do with this idea of the changing times that we're in. And are we equipping ourselves to, to take the, to the new battle? And that, that's right. The reason, the, re, the reason I like that story is it's not that the generals of the French force or the English force, it's not like they didn't care. It's that they didn't have the concept of a completely different way. And the reason I think this is a, this is a great story is we have to be able to articulate to our leaders the fact that sales enablement is actually a different role just as pursuing a strategy that's different than what the Napoleonic tactics are, as foreign as that is, we have the advantage of having 100 years of hindsight. They didn't have that uh, option then. And this is where we are today. Sales enablement might as well be as new as the idea, offering the idea of why don't we not dig in in trenches and why do we, why do we not blow the whistle and go for the, go over the right. wall and do a frontal assault. Yeah. And that's really the, that's really the, the, the point here of, uh, of that story and what the relationship is. That's the big, the, the magnitude of the challenge of the internal selling that a lot of us have. Yeah. And this is super important uh, for me because, you know, my background in learning and development, you know, I, I kind of grew up in there, uh, in that, that field. I grew up in the sales field and, you know, from a sales perspective, I was a top performer and, you know, any tweaks or improvements that I wanted to make to the system, I was, I was met with a, you know, the equivalent of a, why don't you just shut up and sell more? Cause you're a top performer. We don't need any ideas. And then on the L and D side, when it became time to not lead with, you know, training speak or frameworks or a bunch of theoretical stuff, it became, no, we can't do that because that's all we have. We have to show them that stuff because, you know, that's our needs analysis checklist. And, if you were to take both of those fields and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you take those away, what are you going to replace it with? And that's a bit of a, a risky feeling. It was for me back then. And I, I think that's the big, you know, why here is when you want to make a pivot or make a change like that and replace it with something else, you're going to feel a little uncomfortable and a little at risk and a little exposed. And especially if there's a mechanism and, and machinery around you or, or uh, ways of working, processes, you know, chains of command, et cetera. And, and that's why I wanted to double click into this, Scott, because uh, when you look at this idea of selling sales enablement as a role at Forrester, you know, that's a research company that's been around for a long time. It didn't have uh, brand new roles cropping up, you know, to go out and sell to, and you, you were able to do that. And I think I, 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 wanna, I wanna explore that with you here today and understand how that, how that comes together. So can you take us back to that time and this idea of getting buy-in? Who did you get buy-in from? What type of uh, discussions did you have, et cetera? Yeah, so a first bit of nomenclature. So when you talk about Forrester and roles, at the time, the idea was a role was more or less like a product. So it would be you do research okay. dedicated to a role. That's right. For example, one role that's pretty easily identifiable is the CIO. Forrester would do research targeted directly to the CIO and build a, a variety of different capabilities. Subscription research capabilities, Events. guru consulting capabilities, and other things to sell to that dedicated role. So the challenge is the way Forrester was organized at the time the, the company was organized into three different business units. 
There was the IT business unit, of which the CIO was one of those, but then they had other roles like security officer, and, uh, um, infrastructure and operations. Then you had the marketing uh, um, business unit, and that business unit was very focused on B2C. Uh, Forrester's excellence, uh, just phenomenal excellence around uh, marketing is very, 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 very heavy into the customer experience B2C world. And then the third business unit, the business unit that I was in, was a business unit called the tech industry. And uh, at the time, people who wanted to buy, people who wanted to influence the IT buyers, the vendors, et cetera, would buy research services for their analyst, analyst relations. So the tech industry group was the least understood of the three different groups. It was just called tech industry at, at the time. There was no such, they, they, they weren't thinking about B2B marketing or anything like, like they do today. And uh, one of the, the, the roles that they had already defined as ones to exploit were analyst relations, marketing strategy, product, uh, product management, and product marketing. So... Here, here we come. I, I joined. So no, no selling, no no B two B selling, etc. There was well, right. keep in mind, right? This is tech industry only, so there was no, there were no sales roles, uh, any kind of sales role. There weren't right. nuanced. Uh, there wasn't demand gen or anything like that. Those were the roles. At that and, and I think this is important because you're going to come waltzing in here with this. Hey guys, I've got an idea. And, and I think a lot of our sales enablement listeners probably have the same type of idea or vision, right? So I think That's there's right. some parallels here. Right. So just as the generals in World War I had a view of how things should work, that's where what I was entering into. So the first thing is uh, the overwhelming majority of focus is on market and, and marketing. So the first bias that you have to overcome is salespeople just do what they're told. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a bias shared by a, by a lot of marketers. So you have, you have to build that case. Right. And the, the way that it, the way that it really worked is I, I basically made a vision document, um, and, and, and an outline. And in that, in that vision document, I was able to get the, the person who I reported at the time, you, you, you know, him, uh, Brad, and he really liked that. It was a, is a great way to, uh, to, to go about, but we had to sell that vision just to really, really hard, just to explore, open up the space to explore the idea of the possibility of maybe potentially <laughs> creating a new role. And since the company hadn't really created any new roles, there was no protocol for how you create a new role. So on that, was that one of those things where yeah, you do it as a project, if you will, and you invest time and you, you know, uh, hunker down with your PowerPoint deck and build slides or oh God, uh, what was your idea of, of building this vision? Well, the, the, the first part was just having a vision and then talking about it with somebody who's friendly where you're not really pitching an idea or anything. So the role playing that with, with Brad would be, 
well, you know, what about this or what about that scenario or why would we be any different than anything else? You really had to come up with a, a thesis, if you will. Using the company's construct, right? So, yes. you so, know, how is that different than marketing or here's right. what they're going to say here when you bring so, that back? Why is it called sales enablement? That's weird. And, well, yeah. And then there's a lot of other things too. Like how come no one else is doing this? Oh, right. Nobody else is doing it. Oh, yeah, that's risky. Right. We have no right. other competitors who are doing a sales enablement. There role. must be a reason. They're, right. So why would we do that? And right. isn't sales enablement just what the people in product marketing do? Mm. Yeah. So you, you, then you, you have to go, oh, my gosh, we have to, we have to educate. How, how would we educate that? But then you, got, you can't use the word educate. Uh, right, because this is a research company with a lot of people from right. you know, great, great pedigrees, if you will, you know, and, and you don't, you can't run around telling everybody you're going to educate them and insult their intelligence, right? Right. I, actually, I've tried that before and it doesn't work. No, <laughs> so. it, it really does. It backfires. So yeah. you have to, you have to create uh, curiosity around it. So then you have to, you have to develop your idea. You have to create curiosity around it. And then the... Uh, one way to create curiosity around it. Uh, now, keep in mind at, at at this point in time, I I my role where I worked, I was a analyst in the marketing stri- market strategy group. So I had oh, okay. reports for market strategy and things like that. And I said, I think I'm better served in this sales enablement piece. And I would try to define the sales enablement uh, coverage area. It would be in conflict with the market strategy group. And I said, well, how would we create a space for me to actually publish this kind, of, this, this kind of content? So in order to prove that there actually was a market, because the first response is, well, we don't see these kinds of roles. How many of them out there are there? What could we sell to them? And no one else is doing it, so why would we do it? So in order to create that initial demand, I said, well, uh, I have a country club here in Virginia. Uh, I will go and recruit people to participate in a meeting and you guys come and watch these, these people participate. Well, who are you going to get? Uh, what, what level are you going to get? I'm going to get VP level people. It's like, oh, come on. VP level people aren't going to come for a full day meeting, et cetera. And sure this enough, is, and had, this is part of the visioning, right? So exactly. You're not it's trying to sell them research. You're trying to get this figured out. So you're going to invite these folks. I'm trying to buy the space to have them not have them um, be more curious about the potential of what sales enablement could be, not say we need a role. We need to do it right now because that was too, that was too far ahead of where, where they were. Yeah. And that's another thing I want to call out this idea of it would have been really easy to say, well, here's our first report. Let's put it out and start selling it, you know, um, but that's not what you did here because you wanted to make sure that there was a market that these folks were gonna, gonna actually participate. And, and also, you know, hate to say it and sound cliche, but you're trying to be customer centric. You're trying to be outside in. Yes, and it's very hard to be outside in, <laughs> in any kind of company. Right. Um, and so I would say that uh, it wouldn't have been easy to just write a report on, on sales enablement because you have an editing process that you have to go through. And in that editing process, the questions are going to be, why will the role care? 
which is a gr actually a great thing that Forrester does uh, for a quality control check. Uh, but if your audience is, is different, then how do you nuance it? So that was, uh, that was really the challenge. We had this meeting. Uh, the engagement level was tremendous. We had 50% of the audience were marketers and 50% were sales leaders. And what I wanted to highlight was, look, the reason that other functions, other companies aren't covering the sales enablement space is because there's a huge gap. And if we only look at covering the roles that exist today, not maybe skate where the puck might be, might be going, we're going to be just rehashing the same old, same old. So when you said there's a gap, what kind of things did you hear back? Well, yeah, I think that's definitely a topic for a whole nother, uh, whole nother podcast. But the way that, uh, the way that we did it and the way that I like to facilitate is instead of putting the burden on the audience to come up with a draft and have them react to it. So things like, um, uh, the, the, the friction points would be what messaging, for example, what, what is, what is messaging? And it didn't come up that way, but the point of view from marketing was that we build fantastic content and the salespeople don't use it. How are you as a sales leader going to make sure that the salespeople use that content? So, so using that as an example is two different perspectives, right? Well, so right. One. So that's, that's the perspective of the marketing lens. Right. And since we, uh, since Forrester at the time had so many people from the marketing background, they're like, yeah, of course, that's the answer. But since they're not getting feedback from the sales organization, the sales leaders feedback was, well, the content that you provide us is completely off the mark. It is, it's not conversational. You're not targeting specific stakeholders. Um, it, uh, it doesn't fit with how we work and basically our sales engineers or our, our, our other subject matter experts have to spend so much time redoing it all that we're, we're pretty much creating custom content and the marketing point of view was, yeah, that custom content's off brand. The feedback from sales is where'd you come up with a brand anyway? The, the brand positioning has nothing to do with the customers right. that we're engaging with. So you just get this, um, he said, thing, right? This back and forth until you start to illuminate, look, we're actually talking about two different sides of, of the same communications coin. Um, marketers are looking at things from an aggregated standpoint and sellers are looking at things through a very micro standpoint. How do you, how do you bridge the gap between those and asking it that way change the complete tone of both the sales leaders and, and, and the marketing leaders and the executives whom I'd asked to participate in that meeting saw that and we went, aha, that's what you're talking about. So they actually had to experience that, that, that friction first. So, so that got us on the rail of, hey, maybe sales enablement could be a brand new role. So that would be the first, that was a lot of work just to get the first, just to get the topic on the docket, if you would. Right. And I think that's there and Forrester found the opportunity, two different perspectives and you were keeping it simple. You only showed two, but there's obviously multiple, anybody that's done this role for a long time or more than a couple of years is probably bumped into more than two perspectives as they talk about helping salespeople be successful by showing those two Forrester was able to see, see, okay, there's an opportunity here 
perhaps forge a path forward and help these, these folks out. Now we get it. Um, and, and I think from there it became from what you said last podcast, this idea of now following a, a little bit of an organic process to bring in that role to fruition, but it was through yes. that aha and experience where you were able to, to move forward and have momentum. That's right. So I think that the next step is you have to recognize that as a sales enablement professional, there's probably not a formal process inside your company to expand the scope of your role. And a lot of sales enablement leaders that I talk to are frustrated that they don't have the, the budget or the resources, et cetera. And uh, they don't really like my answer, which is we well, got to go get it yourself. You have to learn how to do that, uh, that internal selling. And I think part of the difficulty is the viewpoint that budgets are, that there's a budgeting process, it's, it, it's sort of rigid, uh, it's, it's just not true. The budgeting process is very much dedicated on whether or not the executives find the business opportunity. And in this case, huh, there, there's something here. How do we go forward? And a lot of people had different ideas of how to go forward. So what Brad and I did was we, in, before saying, hey, let's do the plan, let's pitch this idea, this now idea in flight. Let's pitch it to the different groups. So we pitched the idea. And by pitch, I mean, hey, we have this idea. We want to get your thoughts on it. What do you think? Do you think that this fits our business? How might we go about doing it? You know, so I wouldn't say pitch. It's more like um, socialize, get their reaction. Yeah, socialize, brainstorm, et cetera. Yeah. So the, the first group that we went to was the sales organization. And they got so excited. They were like, let's go. Let's green light this. But no one knew whether or not it could be green lighted or not. Who, who decides whether a new role? Uh, right. So then we went to Mark. Mark was the business unit leader of, uh, of that group. That's the person that you eventually, one of the people that you eventually interviewed with. This is all before you joined. You joined us. And he's like, well, this sounds good. Okay, well, do we make it a role? I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can add a, add a new role or not. So then we actually, then we had another series of, of questions with corporate. And of course, the, the marketing business unit was, well, why are you doing that? So it kind of went all the way back in, in, in the game one. So the first angle, instead of dealing with all that, said, look, this is tech industry stuff. We're only going to make it specific to tech industry. So that was one area that we had to deal with was, the first release of sales at AML was it was only a tech industry thing. And we had to do that just to get right. just to get going. And it's ridiculous uh, thinking about it now in hindsight, you know, 11 years later, but these are the things that you have to do. You have to make compromises and then trade offs, yeah. trade offs, and then realize that that's, that exposes you and what do you do about it? So um, that's, that's what we had to do. And then we had to get the, Mark had to get the buy-in from or, or the support from the marketing person so that then we could take it up to uh, corporate, which was our C at that time, our COO really was the person who made the decisions there. His name was Charles. So Charles had to, had to weigh all these different things, but there were just so many different conversations going on. Then right. at the same time, in order to get ready, the 
product marketing group said, you have to fill out all these forms and do all this stuff. And I said, based on what? <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to produce all of that material because that's going to be material that is outside of the scope or actually contradictory to the scope of the research that we're going to be doing. So then yeah. you then of course people rat you out and, you know, escalate it, not a good team player, all of those other factors. So these are, these are the, this is and the now we're back to our uh, analogy. And I'm sorry. You're going. I'm sorry. I cut you off because what popped into my head there was now we're back to the analogy we started with, right? You know, hey, he's not following orders. We blew the whistle, or that's right. You know, you're supposed to be following a chain of command, or 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 or. That's right. Yep. And then uh, eventually, what you have to arrive at is your numbers. And I feel pretty strongly if you don't participate in setting what your numbers are you're screwed <laughs> because you have to right. really know what is the source behind those numbers and what is driving those expectations so you can manage them. So we set our numbers and they were based on, uh, based on an agreement or a perspective that all of us, uh, all of us could agree to and boom, uh, went about launching, launching that new role. So how do you launch a new role in a company that hasn't launched a brand new role before? Yeah, it's just that simple. There you go, everybody. There's the answer. <laughs> but I think as we're winding down here, um, I, I can certainly relate uh, from my own background of one, not being involved in setting numbers to um, maybe enrolling the vision one time. I think there's a whole other podcast around how do you make it sticky because it takes maybe a year or two to have it be anchored as something new. So how do you get through that transitional period um, and, and build momentum? That's a whole other podcast, but it's all rooted on the, the first vision and the trajectory set, right? If you're off one degree in the beginning, you're going to be way off uh, the further down the road you get. And I think that's a big takeaway for me, Scott, is this idea of, um, okay, there's no formal process probably uh, because idea generation is organic. Uh, and two, um, business business people are smart. They 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 might not need a, a formal process because they're going to follow the money and the business case. So it becomes, you know, how how do you become more proficient or more skilled at taking a concept and making that concrete, and at the same time making it, uh, you know, malleable based on the needs of the market, right? And I think that's the tension: is how do you make it solid enough to move forward, but yet you know, pliable enough to be customer centric. Yeah. I think the, for, for me, uh, my takeaways are I'm sort of reflecting. You heard me say this a million times when I was at Forrester talking to our clients, sales enablement clients, what's your charter, pitch it to me. Let's role play out your charter and you should be spending way, 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 way more time about your charter. And you and I both know a lot of people don't want to hear it. It would roll their eyes and say, that's just busy work. Well, I think really giving it, uh, giving it context to me, what's, what's most important is to really create a idea or a hypothesis about what the world could look like positively if, uh, if you had this role. So in the case of Forrester, what, what would be the new business opportunity in the case of in the case of you, how much easier can people do their jobs? How much money can you save? 
uh, what, what will the results be? But don't be rigid about it. The likelihood that somebody, that the, the likelihood that you're going to be able to nail it just by putting the right words together is close to zero. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that as a knock on any one individual. I mean that on a knock of just like Forrester, you, you, you have a, a company or that has, that's populated by a lot of very smart people that look at things in very uh, specific ways. So even if you were to put the word value out there, everybody's going to interpret differently. So allow right. your space, allow yourself some space uh, to, to, to let that go and be very smart about what kind of metrics that you sign up for. Pick low hanging fruit items. Make sure you're communicating with the leaders that they need to be low hanging fruit because they don't want to sign up for more results either. Yes, your CEO, because George, the CEO, was, got excited and said, oh, we could do X, Y, and Z. You don't want to manage his expectations down. You say, that's a possibility, but we have to get started first. And in order for us to get started first, we need to build some momentum and some wins. And his answer is, well, of course that's right. So his talking about all the performance or whatever that, that could be provided, he's not thinking tomorrow, but you're gonna inter you might interpret that tomorrow. So getting clarity and the perspective around the horn and understanding that just because you write it in PowerPoint doesn't mean people are understand it. Those are the those are probably the most important things to being successful. Great advice, Scott. Hey, I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate all our listeners. Uh, we're at time, and uh, thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.